The topic today is the King of the North at Jerusalem. This is the 11th in our series from the book of Daniel. And today we're going to have a look at the 11th chapter of Daniel. Not all of it, because there's so much in it. Jesus said something about the prophet Daniel that many people don't seem to know. Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, read it and understand it. So Jesus, our Lord, told us to read and understand the book of Daniel. He never said that about any other prophet. Now, one great scholar and theologian made this statement. If genuine prophecy is found in the Bible, then the main issues of the age are met. If genuine prophecy is found in the Bible, why would this be so? Because if genuine prophecy is actually found in the Bible, then there must be a God. This would be evidence for God. And not just evidence for any sort of God, but evidence of a very loving God, because only a loving God would write us a letter. If there is no God, there is no good. And everything is relative. Nothing really counts. But if there is a God, there is good and there is evil. And we are in a great conflict between good and evil in the world today. If there is no God, there is no hope. In this great land, the United States of America, there are 30,000 suicides every year. 30,000 suicides. Among the Muslims, there are 150,000 suicides a year. Because the death of hope leads to the hope for death. And so, I say it again, if genuine prophecy is found in the Bible, then the main issues of the age are met. The amazing thing about this book is that it's a book of prophecy and Bible prophecy predicts the future. That's quite astounding. Bible prophecy foresees into the future. Bible prophecy may not tell you or me what we want to hear. And the main reason that we find it hard to understand Bible prophecy is because of prejudice. But Bible prophecy predicts the future. Would you please turn to Isaiah 46 and verses 9 and 10. This is one of the great texts that we like to refer to. Isaiah 46 and verses 9 and 10. I'm so glad that I have a Bible reading, believing church. A church that is interested in truth and investigation. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. 
I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Listen carefully to this. God has foreseen the future. Everything that happens in the world, sometimes we think it just happens by chance. But everything that happens in the world is guided by an unseen hand. Bible prophecy predicts the future. And in the book of Daniel, chapter 11, you have the history of the world as it touches the true Israel of God. It shows what lies ahead. And it introduces the last great conflict when the king of the north stands outside Jerusalem. Now, I want you to notice in Daniel some preliminary prophecies. This is a huge chapter, so we're not going to give a verse-by-verse -verse exposition today. But if you would come and notice some preliminary prophecies where the great events of history are sketched before our eyes. Daniel chapter 11 and verse 2 for a start. Daniel 11 and verse 2. Now then, I tell you the truth. Hey, stop there for a minute. Thank God that this book tells us the truth. Thank God that the book tells us the truth because the truth will make us free. This book tells us the truth. Can I whisper something to you? Truth is not always palatable. It's not always easy to swallow. There are some people who will run a thousand miles rather than read a book that will challenge their thinking. Like the person who said, my mind is made up. Don't confuse me with the facts. But the Bible tells us the truth. Thank God for the truth. Now then I tell you the truth. Three more kings will appear in Persia. And then a fourth who will be far richer than all the others. When he has gained power by his wealth, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. So here we have three kings. History tells me this. And this and the fourth would be more strong than the others, stronger than the others. History tells me this had not happened, of course, in the days of Daniel. Those three kings were Cambyses, a fellow called the False Murdus, then Darius the first, and the fourth king who was greater than them all was Xerxes the Great. This is history in advance. Now, would you please notice, let me see, Daniel 11, verse 3 and onwards. Daniel 11, verse 3 and onwards. Then a mighty king will appear who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. After he has appeared, his empire will be broken up and parcel out towards the four winds of heaven. It will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. And if you and I study history, we will know that this great king 
This king who represented Greece was Alexander the Great. Here Alexander is described and mentioned hundreds of years before he was born. Do you know why Alexander did not destroy the city of Jerusalem? He was mad at the Jews because he told the Jews, I want tribute. They didn't give him the tribute he wanted. So he came to Jerusalem to destroy it. He was met by a group of priests in their long robes. They said, we want to show you something. They showed him where his history had been sketched hundreds of years before he was born. This story, of course, is from the great historian Josephus. Alexander would not destroy the city of Jerusalem because he saw that the prophecy had predicted him. Yes, everything about him. The division of his kingdom among his four warring generals also, Cassander, Lysimachus, Seleucus, and Ptolemy, that of course you all know. Now please notice Daniel 11 and verse 19. We're skipping over a lot of this. After Greece, of course, came what great power? It's the power of Rome. So would you please notice verse 19, Daniel 11, verse 19. After this, he will turn back towards the fortress of his own country and will stumble and fall to be seen no more. If I had time, I could show you this is talking about the coming of Rome after Greece in the person of Julius Caesar. After his conquests in North Africa and Spain, he went back to his own country, secure and supreme. He said the words, I came, I saw, I conquered. And then, full of pride, he went down to the Senate. The year was 44 BC. The Bible says he would stumble and not be found. And there down on the floor of the Senate, he was set upon by a group of assassins led by Cassius and Brutus. And every word of the prophecy came to pass. And the next emperor was sketched in the next verse, Daniel 11 and verse 20. You see, this is why I believe the Bible, because of these prophecies. His successor will send out a tax collector to maintain the royal splendor. In a few years, however, he will be destroyed, yet not in anger or in battle. All of you who know your ancient history know this, that there was a civil war after the death of Julius Caesar. But finally, one person emerged supreme, and his name was who? Augustus. And he is known in history as the great tax collector. And when you go to the New Testament, you read the words, in the days of Augustus, there went out a decree that all the world should be taxed. And the Bible indicates that the tax collector would not die a violent death. And he did not. He died peacefully in bed, at the age of 76. The man who followed him is described in Daniel 11, verse 21 and 22. Daniel 11, verse 21 and 22. He will be succeeded by a vile, 
a contemptible person who has not been given the honor of royalty. He will invade the kingdom when his people feel secure and he will seize it through intrigue. And shall we read verse 22? Then an overwhelming army will be swept away before him, both it and, more correctly, the prince of the covenant will be destroyed. The emperor who came after the great tax collector was a vile person whose name was Tiberius. The emperor before him said to the mother of this wretched person, he is too vile to wear the Roman purple. But Tiberius became the emperor. And the Bible says that during the reign of the man who came after the tax collector who died peacefully in bed, during the reign of this vile person, the prince of the covenant would be killed. The prince of the covenant, of course, according to Daniel chapter 9, is none other than the Messiah. During his reign, an event occurred in faraway Judea. And Tacitus, the Roman historian, not a Christian, of course, wrote the words Christus. The founder of that name was put to death as a criminal by Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea, in the reign of Tiberius. I could spend so much time with you, which we don't have, talking about the Caesars and their intrigue. Did you know even Cleopatra is mentioned in this chapter? The daughter of women corrupting her. But then after the death of our blessed Lord in 31 AD, other prophecies tell us that the great spiritual Antichrist would come and flood over the world. Now we quickly pass. We quickly pass to the rise of the Antichrist. Would you look at Daniel 11 and verse 31 and onwards. Daniel 11 and verse 31 to 35. Daniel 11, 31 to 35. It talks now about the rise of the Antichrist, the abomination of desolation. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and he will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Those who are wise will instruct many, though for a time they will fall by the sword or be burned or captured or plundered. When they fall, they will receive a little help and many who are not sincere will join them. Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified and made spotless until the time of the end. For it will still come at the appointed time. Listen carefully. These verses describe the rise and the work of pagan Rome, which became papal Rome. It says that this power would make war against the sanctuary. 
And this happened in 70 AD when the Jewish temple was destroyed by Titus the Great. But then these verses have a dual meaning. Because what pagan Rome did to a literal temple, the paganized church did to the people of God, the new Israel. Listen carefully to these words because one day, even today, your soul could depend upon them. It says that the abomination of desolation, what does it mean? What does it mean, the abomination of desolation? It is an abominable power that makes the hearts of men and women desolate. That is the Antichrist. The Bible says that this power, the abomination of desolation that followed the Caesars, would do away with the daily sacrifice. And in the Jewish temple, they had a daily sacrifice. And that sacrifice pointed the people to the coming of the Lamb of God. The daily sacrifice represents the atoning sacrificial death of the Messiah on the cross. So the Bible says this power would do away with the atoning sacrifice of our Lord and would set up the abomination that makes desolate. And also he would unleash the sword of persecution. Let me talk about this abomination of desolation. Listen carefully. As the years rolled by and as the Christian church fell away from the truths of the Bible, and accepted the man-made traditions of men. There was set up a system of church and state. And the priests of the church believed that they had the ability to make God. That upon the altars of Rome, the priest had the power to bring down the eternal God, create him, in the host and sacrifice him again. And therefore, I know, I know this because I've studied it, studied it, studied it for years, brought up in it. When the priest said the words, this is my body, the piece of bread through transubstantiation did not appear as God but became God and the wine became the literal blood of Christ. And thus, the truth of the cross was cast to the ground. And in its place was set up a system of worship that is called the abomination of desolation. This is describing the church of the dark ages, people like you and me that got away from Scripture. And uh, I want you to notice because the word said that they were going to be tried, they were going to be put to death by the sword because now the bloody persecution started. Religious terrorism is the worst kind of terrorism. The greatest persecutors in the world have been blinded religious bigots. 
Who did these monstrous crimes? Atheists? No. Christians. Christians. How many people were tortured and put to death in the name of God? 50 million. I have looked at the book, the Spanish Inquisition book, that tells people, the priests, how they can prolong life for days so that the person will suffer the greatest. And in the halls of the Inquisition in Spain and other parts of the world, the bishop sat in sanctimonious holiness and enjoyed the screams of the heretics. You talk about terrorism. This is terrorism. The worst kind of terrorism inflicted upon innocent people by religious bigots. And the union of church and state that did these things in the dark ages is called in scripture the abomination of desolation. Listen carefully to me. The teaching of Christ is utterly unlike anything else in the world. It's unlike anything else in the world. We say we overcome our enemies by killing them. Jesus said, you overcome your enemies by loving them. The world says, we never forgive and we never forget. We never forgive and we never forget. Jesus said, as he hung on the cross, cross Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The religion of Christ is unlike anything else in the world. The religion you see here today is a religion of men. But it's not a religion of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. One great theologian, I'm reading it in that book I'm recommending to you, said these words, stings one when one reads them, most religion is bad and should be exposed. Let me say this to you. Too often the pulpit is the throne of the coward. Did you hear this? Too often the pulpit is the throne of the coward where preachers who have lost, if they ever had it, their courage to proclaim the truth, are only interested in telling the congregation that which will make them popular. Those preachers are going to be exceedingly popular one day in the fires of hell. So what am I telling you today? What is God trying to tell you? That only the religion that comes from God can lead to God. What an amazing concept. Here is a man, a Jew, a member of what was then considered to be a despised race of troublemakers. Here is a despised Jew, naked, hanging on a cross. 
and the Roman Empire is against him with all of their armies. And the Jewish nation is against him. But who wins? <laughs> Christ. Because his weapons are stronger than any other weapon. The weapons of love. Mercy. A man whom I appreciate very much was talking to me about the situation in the world today. I said, wouldn't it be wonderful if we showed mercy? Oh, that doesn't work anymore. What if we showed grace and forgiveness and did what Joyce and Jim are doing? Laid hands on potential enemies and said, we are sorry that what you have seen has only been religion. It has not been what Jesus taught. So the abomination of desolation makes a man's heart as hard as a rock, unforgiving, very sanctimonious, very legalistic. As one man said, Robert Parr said to me, he was a very good man in the very worst sense of the term. So were these people. The people who did these monstrosities were priests and leaders of the church. Would you look at Daniel eleven thirty two? This makes you tremble for, for our common humanity, does it not? Daniel eleven thirty two. Eleven thirty two. 1132. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. The Bible says that people gave up the covenant. What was the covenant? The covenant is the teaching of the gospel. Jesus made a covenant with his people. It says people are going to give up the covenant and they're going to violate the covenant and they're going to pervert it. And this is called in history the great apostasy. Paganism entered the church. Let me enumerate some of the pagan teachings. The immortality of the soul. Spiritism. Prayers to the dead. Prayers for the dead. Halloween. One of the most pagan customs in the world and people who practice it are playing with spiritism. No wonder their lives degenerate as they go downhill, as they accept these dreadful customs from the graveyard. Purgatory, Sunday keeping, the abolition of the Holy Sabbath, eternal torment whereby God becomes the greatest of all terrorists. Do you know why people practice terrorism? Because their God is a terrorist. You become like the person you worship. If your God is kind and gracious and forgiving and goes the second mile, the third mile, 70 times seven or more, then in time, you'll start to become like him. People will say, you're almost like him in some ways. But if your God burns people for billions of years, as is taught by the Muslims, 
and by the vast majority of Christians? What's wrong with torturing people and burning them? Because they say, my God is like that. The doctrine of eternal torment helps people to become tormentors. You rise no higher than your concept of God. Coercion. I will make you. Coercion. This became a doctrine of Rome. I will make you do what I think you ought to do because I know what's best for you. Coercion. Righteousness by works. You are saved by your works of righteousness wrought in your heart by the grace of God. Council of Trent. The mass, transubstantiation. These were the doctrines that came into the church when the church forsook the Holy Covenant. Now, the king who exalts himself. Would you notice Daniel 11, 36 and onwards. And remember, I'm skipping through this today because who could go through this chapter in detail in one session. Daniel chapter 11, verse 36 and onwards. The king will do as he pleases. This is the last manifestation of Antichrist. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed. For what has been determined must take place. He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers, nor for the one desired by women. That was the Messiah. Nor will he regard any god, for he will exalt himself above them all. Instead of them, he will honor a god of fortresses, a god unknown to his fathers. He will honor with silver and gold, with precious stones and costly gifts. He will attack the mightiest fortresses with the help of a foreign god and will greatly honor those who acknowledge him. He will make them rulers over many people and will distribute the land at a price. I want you to look at the characteristics of the Antichrist. Next week I'm going to preach a sermon that I've never tried to preach before, which will be different to any sermon I've preached before. It is on the essence and the character of Antichrist. How Antichrist can be in every church, every nation, every government. Look at this king. This king will do everything his heart desires. He is proud, he is arrogant. And these are the marks of Antichrist. Jesus said, I know some of you are saying, you're so naive, our pastor. You don't understand the real world. I don't think you do. I ask you, I appeal to your senses. Look at the conflict between the Jews and the Arabs. It goes back three and a half thousand years. Tit for tat. One attack is met by another attack. And it goes on and the blood flows, the blood of innocent people. Why don't we try 
the gospel? Or could it be that those who are involved in these situations rejected him? If you reject him, there's no hope. Now this king does as he pleases. He is proud and arrogant. And in these verses that you read, this is talking, this is not talking about a civil power, this is talking about a religious power that takes over the civil power. And this power is not interested so much in the souls of the people, it is interested in power and wealth and a God whom his fathers didn't know. He honors. Who is this new God? Who is this new God that the spiritual antichrist worships? It is the God of material wealth. It is the God of power. It is the God of might. It is the God of force. He divides the land for a price because he considers that every person has a price and money will accomplish everything. And he does it all in the name of God. But how Christian is this power? It's religious, but where is humility? Where is grace? Where is love? Where is mercy? Now, notice with me the last battle. Daniel 11, verse 40 and onwards. Now, I will apologize to you because I'm dealing with a profound subject and somewhat rushing through it because this chapter, if we were to explain it in detail, could take us at least 100 hours. We're simply giving you a bird's eye view. Though from where I am, I'm getting the bird's eye view. Would you please notice, because I'm looking at you, Daniel 11, verse 40. At the time of the end, the king of the south will engage him in battle. And the king of the north will storm out against him with chariots and cavalry and a great fleet of ships. He will invade many countries and sweep through them like a flood. He will also invade the beautiful land. Many countries will fall, but Edom, Moab, and the leaders of Ammon will be delivered from his hand. He will extend his power over many countries. Egypt will not escape. He will gain control of the treasures of gold and silver and all the treasures of Egypt and the Libyans and Nubians in submission. But reports from the east and the north will alarm him. He will set out in a great rage to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch his royal tents between the seas at the beautiful holy mountain, yet he will come to his end uh, and no one will help him. Now listen, I want to give you some theology if the Lord will help me. Where do I start? Listen, let me give you some very important points. When you come into the New Testament, literal terms become spiritualized. The Holy Land becomes the church. 
I will prove that to you. So you have the king of the north against the king of the south. In the scriptures, now you, this is a lot to take in, but you can take it in because you're a great group of people. Satan sat upon in the sides of the north. The enemy of Israel was Babylon, the Antichrist. And then later on, in these days, at least in the days of, that Daniel 11 is about, Syria became the Antichrist. And then after Syria and these other powers that came down from the north, Rome became the Antichrist. The king of the north refers to the Antichrist. So the king of the north is the great spiritual force that takes over the world in the last days. The king of the south, you will remember, was Egypt. And in the New Testament, Egypt is spiritualized. Just as you have a spiritual holy land, you have a spiritual Egypt. And as great commentators have pointed out, Egypt must represent something of the spirit of that evil Pharaoh who said, I don't know Jehovah, neither will I let Israel go. Egypt represents atheism. Blatant rejection of God. But the king of the north represents this great religious power. Now it says at the time of the end, the king of the south would push at him. Let me tell you what I preached many, many years ago. 40 years ago. And tell me if I was wrong or right. If you studied the Bible prophecies, the end of the 1260 years happened in 1798. And in 1798, atheistic France that gave birth to communism attacked uh, the papacy. And the papacy received uh, the deadly wound. The king of the south pushed at him. The king of the south became atheism, communism. And people would say to me when I was a young preacher, what do you think is going to happen to communism? I would say, well, most people think it may take over the world. But I would say to them, I know of a prophecy in the Bible that says that the king of the south, atheism, spiritual Egypt, would come against the king of the north. But the king of the north would come against him and wipe him out. And I would say to the people, I believe the communism is going to go down and one power is going to remain. The power that is mentioned here. This great antichrist conquers the whole wide world. Nobody can stand against him. And in the end he comes and he stands outside Jerusalem to destroy Jerusalem. Now listen to me. You say, how does this fit into the theology of left behind? I'm glad to say I've left all that behind. Because there's not a word of good theology in those books. And even the editors say, it is fiction. 
But this is the bread and butter of millions, tens of millions in this country. For them, Jerusalem attacked by the king of the north is literal Jerusalem attacked by the Russians. How little they know. You see, Jesus said, you know the passage? Listen to me. Should I show it to you? Let me show it to you. Let me show you what Jesus said. Would you please come to what Jesus said? I, I want you to see this. I want you to come and see what Jesus said about Israel. Matthew 21, 33 and onwards. Matthew 21 and verse 33 and onwards. The people who wrote the books, left behind and all of that series, have a theology that doesn't even take in consideration the death of Jesus for our sins. Matthew 21 and verse, let me see. Let's come to verse 37. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir, come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. That's Calvary. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Verse 43. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Listen, look at me. If you understand this, it's so plain. Israel of the flesh was the chosen people of God. But when they rejected the Jewish Messiah who was the son of God, the kingdom of God was taken from them and given to another nation. You say, what was that nation? Was it America? No, no, no. Was it Great Britain like the British Israelites teach? No, no, no. It was given to the nation of true believers who have true faith in Jesus who are found in every nation under heaven. So if you are an Arab and believe in Jesus, you are an Israelite. If you are an American and you have true faith in Jesus, you are a true Israelite and we could go through every nation in the world. And Jerusalem, there is a holy city, my friend, but it's not over there in the Middle East. The holy city is found where the Holy Spirit dwells and that is in the church. So the church becomes the holy temple, becomes the holy city. Now listen, Daniel 11, the Antichrist overfloods the world and he comes up against the church of God and he makes war against the church of God. The Hebrew says, when it says he shall go forth with fury to destroy and utterly to make away many, the Hebrew says, listen for some theology, he will place them under a, a ban. He will boycott them. 
Now, if I had time, I would take you to Revelation 13 where you have the lamb-like beast that comes up talking religion but ends up talking like a dragon and then that beast says, church and state are going to join together and we are going to have a religious nation and we're going to send it around the world whether you like it or not. And then that power says, we will enforce the mark of the beast. I'm glad I'm living in these times because I believe I am seeing the fulfillment of the prophecies. I believe the things are taking place in this country and in the world which are a direct fulfillment of the prophecies of the word of God. I just wish you to understand God's word it could happen next year. It could happen the year after. It could happen sooner. Look at me and I'll tell you something. The vast majority of Christians are deluded and deceived. They are following a false religion and a false God. It is not the Christ of the Bible. It's going to happen and I think I may be around to see it. Daniel 12, verse 1. Daniel 12, verse 1. My dear friends. Daniel 12 and verse 1. That's why I'm so glad to have a congregation that thinks. I'm glad to have a congregation that reads the Bible. I'm glad to have a congregation that have independent minds, that are not dummies. I'm glad to have a congregation that's getting ready to meet Jesus. At that time, Daniel 12, verse 1, Michael, the Lord Jesus, the great prince who protects your people will arise. There'll be a time of distress such as has not happened since there was a nation, since from the beginning of time until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. The last conflict in the world is not fought in the Middle East. The last conflict is between the two, true church and the Antichrist. When I think of these things, I'll be quite honest with you. When I see what is happening in the world, the rise of religion, getting ready to take over government, enforce its will around the world, you know what I think is going to happen? I will tell you. I believe that a great terrorist attack is going to take place. 
soon. I'm not setting any time or date. You say, but that's a radical idea. That's defeatism. Hey, the vice president is saying it all the time. I believe a great terrorist attack is going to take place. The nations of the world will come together. And a man is going to step forward who lives over there in a mansion in Rome. They're going to say, hail the Prince of Peace. And all the people, all of them, are going to say, thank God, he's come to save us. Going to be miracles. Even Jesus is going to appear, apparently. Then they're going to say, we've got to have a world religion. It's going to start in this country, folks. It's going to start here. We're going to have a world religion. We're going to have a world day. If you don't follow our world religion, we won't buy your goods. We won't sell to you. If you don't fall into line, we'll kill you. I tell you, the final scenes on the stage are set. The time the task and the men are met. The world at its worst needs the church at its best. We are called for this hour. Will we stand the test? Amen.